Hello and welcome to the Idiot Book Nook podcast. My name is Blazewing, my pronouns are they, them. I am the Reading Dragon and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lady Punnett, my pronouns are primarily she, her, sometimes they, them. Today is a she, her kind of day. And I'm Critter my pronouns are mainly she, her, sometimes they, them. Today's a her day. This brings us to an interesting point in our podcast before we get started. Um, but before I get into why, if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so at lanktr.ee slash idiotbooknook. You'll be able to find links to our podcast, to our YouTube, to our Twitch, all of our individual um, socials as well. And you can feel free to follow us there uh, if you want to see what we're up to. And the interesting point in our podcast, guys, this is episode 100. Oh, yeah. we, have oh, crap. we have officially hit three digits. Ah! That's just the episodes where we've been reading and discussing. That doesn't take into account the Tongues, Tangents, and Titillations episodes. That doesn't take into account any discussion episodes that we've done, like any generic discussion episodes. That doesn't take into account any announcements that we put out on the podcast feed. Any of that. That's just not reading and analytical the, discussion. Not even the uh, visual novels? Not even the visual novels. Just books. Just books. So. Congra- and how many books have we gone through now? Uh, let's see. We went through Harry, po- Harry Potter to start. We went through the Bartimaeus trilogy, the Amulet of Samarkand. We went through Prospero School of Magic, The Return of Merlin. We've gone through Lost in the Woods and this one. Uh, that's five. Nice. I was close. That's an average of 20 episodes per book. That's pretty good. It's not bad. We're talking today about chapter five of The Thief from the Queen's Thief series by Megan Whalen Turner. We had a bit of lore dump this uh, this chapter. Yee. And lots of salt. And lots of salt, absolutely. I want to start off by saying I enjoyed the lore dump at the beginning. It showed kind of the formation of the Earth and a bit of their, lo- their local lore, their history, their mythology, and all of that. Um, of course, anthropomorphized kind of the landscape and how they saw that being formed and kind of the back and forth but towards the end showed what might have been hints at a rather cataclysmic turn of events the sky and the earth both fighting storms the ground shaking and all of that massive natural disasters we saw in that they anthropomorphized that and they found a character to basically play mediator between the two what are our thoughts on that? It's very interesting in how they go about it. Um, first of all, apparently everything started with Earth, as opposed to most places where it usually starts with, oh, the sun, or the Big Bang, or whatever. No, apparently everything came from the Earth all of her children and then her children made things 
And the first thing that she created was the sun, which I thought was very interesting way to go about it. And it was just different in a way. I liked it. Yeah, I definitely quite enjoyed the way it it tied general like mythology that we know into and like how the author like spun it into the story into something that worked for that world uh definitely enjoyed it i like how it was told like a story by the campfire um which you know is how those stories were passed on um i, I definitely yeah no i i like the story or like the the picture that it builds of the world that we're in and like you said it gives us those hints that there was some pretty like big uh disasters and things like that like some like how pivotal moments were recorded and everything else i'm rather enjoying kind of uh where is it Wonder the sky wanted to know what he looked like, so the earth made a thousand goddesses and spread them all across the world to hold mirrors for the sky, and those are lakes from which, you know, spun rivers. Kind of shows the creation of the elements themselves, which is really cool. Um, there was another one here. Where'd it go? But the earth watched the humans that the sky had made and felt sorry for them. They were cold and hungry, so she gave them fire to make them warm. But she gave them, and she gave them seeds to scatter on the ground. She made animals for them to eat. But no matter what gifts they gave, uh, she gave them, the humans were ungrateful. They thanked only the sky for having made them. Earth grew angry, and she shook with her anger. The houses that the humans had built fell down, and the animals that they had gathered were frightened and ran away. And the humans realized they had made a terrible mistake. Shows, you know, the beginning of, I want to say, uh, maybe agrarian civilization. Yeah, a fairly, by our standards, primitive time when everything was anthropomorphized and everything was given kind of a godlike status that we didn't understand. And when the natural landscape itself was a fairly formidable enemy for us because it was still relatively untamed and natural disasters could kill entire civilizations. Never mind, you know, today, today it, might, it might affect a city, but it could have wiped out entire civilizations and cultures back then. Mm -hmm. Something else that about this whole thing, it shows how stories are often told different and how people can sometimes become very ignorant of it. Mm -hmm. The best point is um, Magnus told Jin that he was wrong about the way he was including details about the story, like how the earth had weeped and made the sea with the salt from her tears. And he said, you're wrong. And, he's and I was just thinking, that's basically... Like some white person going to Hawaii and telling the native Hawaiians, no, you're pronouncing your god's name wrong. At the, sec at the same time, Magus did also point out uh, the change of the way of pronunciation. And yeah, that could be looked at as whitewashing, but it could also be looked, as, looked at as the evolution of language, which is in a constant state of flux. 
throughout history, even in our own world, throughout history, um, lore, legends, they all change. Details are forgotten. Other details are added, which adds a bit of superstition. It's like a really long game of telephone over thousands of years. Yeah. But when you get to the end where, uh, when you kind of get to the point where he's like, no, this is the way it's pronounced now. I didn't say it wrong. Just this is the way it's pronounced now. I do agree that that could be considered a bit of whitewashing almost. You know, the colonizer, the colonizer trying to subjugate or control the colonized. Uh, well, yeah, there's, the, I think the Magus is definitely one of those characters that you're like, he's right, but he's a massive dick about it. Agreed. 100% agreed. <laughs> so yeah. like, he's definitely like, he's educated enough to know. A lot of different subjects but he's so into himself that he chooses which subjects are the right ones we've also and talked only the ones he likes are the right ones we've also talked at length about how the magus is a fucking dick yes he is he's definitely a dick but we're also finding out like like you said like and then when we get into like just the general like character interactions in this chapter um you you find out a little bit more about everybody's situation and how some of them are like attached to each other. Uh, like how Paul is actually there to watch Sophos. Um, and like some of the, the bitterness that seems to be sneaking around with Ambieties. I like that. That feels like it's going to become a problem eventually uh just kind of touching on that uh one of the one of the small snippets well how could they tell what you uh what you were going to be when you were a baby how did they know what you were going to be when you were a baby my father was a duke so my mother was a thief so you would have to grow up to be one too shows kind of a lineage and the expectation of kind of carrying on the family tradition the family name the family job if your parents were something you are expected to be that as well there is no kind of uh, allowance for going against the grain that was the societal expectation you still kind of see that societal expectation in certain cities and towns in my city in particular typically families stay in like I don't want to say there's a lot of nepotism, but there's a lot of, oh, your dad and your grandfather and your great-grandfather were minors? Oh, then I'm, I'm probably going to end up being a minor, too. Or, oh, your family's really into education, so that means you're probably going to be a teacher or an educational assistant. Or things like that. It's because typically you grow up hearing a lot about it, and it's easier to get into a job if you know somebody, especially if it's something higher up. Like, say you want to get into, like, business or something that's a bit more niche it's easier to get a foothold if you know someone in the business they draw they also drop um the king's thief as a hereditary title and then later on they ask uh it was um thrown at jen um where is it are you really named after the god of thieves to which he responded i am which again kind of aligns with our own history. Um, your last name is considered a hereditary name in a lot of societies. In most societies, it's one of the distinguishing features about who you are. It's how people tell you apart from other individuals. And you'd usually take on the last name of 
what your job was or your parents' job was. For instance, growing up, I had somebody in one of my classes whose last name was Cheeseman. I guarantee you that his family at some point worked with cheese. At you've got there's a reason there's a lot of Smiths around. Yes, I was gonna say a lot of Smiths, a lot of porters. Yep. Taylor. Yep. Archer. Something men. So over over time, you know, these last names or these familial names have taken on kind of a life of their own. They've changed spelling. They've changed maybe the way you pronounce them um, to something not quite so normalized. But when you go back far enough, the root of the actual word is a hereditary name itself. Mm-hmm. See... That, for me in particular, I'm not, I'm not going to say my last name on stream live, but there is, at least for me, a lot of confusion as to where my last name actually comes from because of just the area of its origin not being pinpointed exactly from what I have been able to find for myself. I'm working up the confidence to ask some of my other family members because I'm also trying to avoid opening certain cans of worms given my family history. That being said, it would be interesting at least for me to find out where mine comes from and just to get some clarity as to what was true and what was utter bullshit from my dad yeah i mean there's um i mean like like and it can be weird too like like especially when it comes to tracing down names because like again i won't say anything like names on, on my end but like when my ancestors like a few generations back emigrated they changed their name to sound more local and they picked the name of a local street like it had no meaning to just literally pick the name of a street. See, that's another thing that can cause issues when trying to locate the the origins of one's surname or just tracking down lineage is how often did your family throughout time immigrate to other parts of the world and how often did they have to change the pronunciation of their name, the spelling of their name, or just taking on an entirely new name altogether. Which is also one of the and reasons then, why I really like the the genetic uh, stuff that's been coming out, like um, what was it, ancestry DNA and what have you. So that way you can get like a genetic reading as to where you came from. But then you have people who had to change their last names for safety reasons, like a lot of the uh, Romani and the. Jewish people who had to come over or change their last names to hide their identity during World War II. Oh yeah, that was that was one of the biggest ones in Earth's history just by itself. And that that kind of links back. Like, let's loop back the book here off this tangent. Um, and that's another thing too that, I, that we were given is uh, I guess I don't know if it feels like it plays into. It like adds weight to why the Magnus treats Jen the way he does. And that a fact that 
like his it's not just that he comes from common folk is apparently he comes from mountain folk like mm -hmm. he's already been labeled an outsider and like the way he picks at his name at how he knows his knowledge the way like he like kind of throws it away as like bah. i know your i know what your mother was like just from this little piece of paper here yeah Bitch, you didn't know my mother at all So that definitely that was actually his mom. Maybe it was someone pretending to be his mom. Maybe his mom is the queen's thief. I don't... Well, I mean, we have kind of a... That's an interesting point, because we have kind of a bit of a look into it, but we don't. I don't think we have enough information to go off of 100%. We do know that there is a king in the town that they came from. We do know that uh, one of these settlements nearby has a queen and that is frowned upon you know seen as kind of weaker which is a whole other issue all on its own but as for you know the common families are they matriarchal or are they patriarchal where uh, do you get the last name and maybe the family job from what the father does or what your mother does I mean, it seems at least like in, in Jen's case, like that could go either way, because like he said, his dad was soldier. His mom seems to be a known thief, or at least was. There's the fact that she died in uh, less than ideal circumstances. I don't know. It, it feels like it was like, did she fall out of a window or did she get thrown out of a window? You know? Agreed. Was she betrayed? And he's obviously... Take her death. Yeah, there's there's definitely like something there other than just I don't want to say mommy issues, but you know. <laughs> he might have mommy issues. At the very least, he seems very protective and definitely seems to care more about that side than the other. We see that he's still at least in contact with his family, so they haven't like um what's the word? Um like he might still be seen as a member of the family like his job might like his job might not be something that you know um they look down on not enough to like kick him out of the family or that and if he has then he cares enough about them that he's looked in on them on the side because he knows what they all do and everything else well apparently it's being a thief is considered a profession by like the standards because literally people are like named after thieves apparently so yeah it definitely gave us if not some foreshadowing from later definitely some things to like keep in our hats while we're reading later on mm -hmm. what else do we have about this chapter that we want to talk about do we want to theorize why Ambiety seems to have a stick up his butt more so than usual? Especially towards Sophos when they seem to have gotten along so well before. Because Sophos said the reason Ambiety suddenly snapped at him was because of identifying mountain ranges. He definitely seems like the guy who does not like to be shown up. And I think it sticks in his craw that little Sophos is sucking up all this info like a sponge and spinning it back out when he technically does not have to be there. He could 
be elsewhere being dookly, whereas Ambiades is stuck here. You could be seeing it as more of a kind of a learning opportunity or a blessing in disguise where he has, even though he doesn't have to be there, he's got the ability to soak up all this information and maybe he's trying to take advantage of that to better himself in life and his position and stature within his uh, culture. There's also the I... fact that he enjoys it. Also, there was mention prior that um, Ambiades was having, he, he never liked learning about geographical history. Yeah, he's very, like, he likes, he's a bit like the Magus, actually. He likes what he likes and doesn't give a shit about the other stuff. This is Stubborn. true. It could also be the fact, well, he had mentioned, so we know that Ambiades is there not of his own volition. Supposedly, this from what we got from the last chapter, it sounds like, hey, this is your last chance to make it up to your dad before he, like, offs you or, like, says you can't be a part of the family anymore. I thought that was Sophos. No, Sophos... I thought Ambiades was the one that was there because he didn't want to be there, but his dad was, like... No, that's Sophos with the okay. dad. Right? Because okay, so my thought was Ambiades was bad because this kid is here because he wants to be here, and he has like a family that kind of supports him. But okay, yeah, I don't know why Ambiades has a stick up his ass then. Like Sophos is showing he wants to learn. He wants to learn this stuff. He's not like belittling Ambiades in any. Oh wait, okay, wait. I I think I. Who here watches My Hero Academia? This re okay. So, so. This relationship is kind of reminding me of the relationship between Izuku Midoriya and uh, Katsuki Bakugo, where basically Katsuki Bakugo has a very interesting mix of an inferiority complex and a superiority complex. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Where basically he views his, where basically he views his childhood friend, who childhood friend only ever tried to help, he thought that childhood friend was looking down on him, and trying to be better than him. Because of the inferiority complex, and he has the superiority complex, because everyone was always like boosting him up, being like, "Oh my god, your quirk superpower is so amazing! You're going to be a great hero." But Midoriya had always had this kind, hero-like heart who just wanted to help people. So I'm wondering if it's like that, where he sees this kid who is forced to be here, is making the best of the situation, and is doing better than him when he actually came here to be, like, the first apprentice. Yeah, he could be misconstruing Sophos's enthusiasm into trying to show him up, I guess. Mm-hmm possibility interesting thoughts anything else we want to touch on paul is like the cool uncle that's there to make sure you don't die and to keep an eye on you and to tell you to rub to some dirt in it <laughs> tell you to rub some dirt in it you'll be okay but it's also the kind of dad that's going to be like oh you're enjoying this but you don't want your dad to know i'll tell him you hate it yeah. 
I'll tell him you hate it. You want to come back home. This is the worst experience of your life. That'll buy you at least another two years. Definitely get that feeling from Paul, who's like, what's the word? Like, like he's obviously a very like he he has that like quiet, reserved old soldier man who has seen it all and gives no shits. He is just there to do his jobs and make sure the kid don't die. You are not allowed to die. Your dad will kill me if you die. Don't die. He's surrounded by all these crazy people. (laughs) I didn't agree to be here, but I'm here anyways, damn it. Gosh darn it, kid. You're not allowed to die. Your dad will kill me. Yeah. Find a way to bring you back. And me back. Kill me again. And make you go to military camp or something. Mm. Business school. He'll make you go to business school. Well, yeah, I think, uh, at least on my end, I think that pretty much covers it for this chapter. While he did have a lot of info, it was not very long. Mm-hmm. Tis true. We got a lot of lore in this chapter, which we mostly covered. Oh, can I just say one more thing about the lore drop? All of Earth's children are dicks. Except for Hephaestia. Like, all of them. Like, I get it. You're busy doing your godly duties. That doesn't mean you can't, like, call your mom up at least every once a week and just be like, hey, mom, how you doing? Yeah? Oh, Sky's being a dick again. Oh, I know, mom. Don't worry. I'll try talking to him. Okay, same time next week. Great. It doesn't take a lot. So what I'm getting is that Lady Punnett has a lot of very strong feelings about this chapter. Yeah. Like I, I said, a there's very... a lot of salt. I have a very close relationship with my mom. Fair. I guess I should probably call mom. I have mommy issues. And daddy issues. That explains so much about you. It's okay we both have adhd and time blindness it's okay if we don't talk to each other for a year we'll pick up right back to the last conversation next time we remember to call <laughs> so um, I mean, mine are a little bit my my parental issues are a little bit different but yeah sure i'm thinking that might actually be a good place to wrap this up since we seem to have dissected a a, a fair bit in a rather short amount of time and you're you are right this this chapter was fairly short so I guess with that being said, guys, this has been episode 100 of the Idiot Book Nook podcast. That is huge. Um, Thank you very much for joining us on this journey of the last 100 episodes. We hope that you've enjoyed things as we've kind of slid into a groove, found our footing, you know, kind of found a format that worked for us almost. Um, Hmm. It's been an absolute blast. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so at lanktr.ee slash idiotbooknook. Again, you can find links to our podcast, to our YouTube, to the Twitch, um, all of our individual socials, and give us, a, give us all individually follows there. And for this episode, I'm Blazewing. I am the Reading Dragon. 
I'm Lady Punnett. And I'm Critter Shy. And we'll see you for episode 101.